0: sports when right. you think about it they're just very big obstacles and in fact some of the of the adventure races even in the early days included man-made obstacles just like you would see today different countries in different regions there are cultural um, biases that uh, that influence how people approach events and sports where it's 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 remote but it's also actually there physical yeah. uh, presented a, an immediate opportunity spartan race um, jumped on a-
1: Hi everyone welcome back to the sporting global podcast and today i'm here with ian adamson and, and ian how are you how's uh, how's life these days
0: <laughs> hi ollie it's such a pleasure to be here thank you for having me on your podcast um yeah things are going well the uh the sport the sports that i'm working on are progressing and we're making uh, rapid movement towards uh, all of our goals <laughs> well, well,
1: that's great, and it, it's a pleasure having you here. I know you have a busy schedule, and it, and it's good to sort of like just, I, I guess, like for you as well, just. You know, take the time. You know, sit down. You know, just just talk a little bit about like, you know, maybe a step back. You know, reflecting over what's 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 going on in the industry, how's you know it's impacting the world obstacle, uh, of course, and uh, and a little bit about your journey. But we're of course like really appreciated having you part of this. And and for those of you that are tuning in, you know, make sure to like and to subscribe to the video as well because every week, you know, you get key leaders from the sport industry every week all over the world sharing their insights and tips so if that's stuff that you like you know i mean better just you know subscribe so you get notifications every week it's uh, helpful it really does um but but ian um I, i'm, I'm kind of like just curious a little bit about your you know backstory into the sport industry, like, sport industry like how how did your journey in the sport industry become and i guess like a little bit passion for you know the the interesting sports you have inside world obstacle
0: Sure. Uh, well, it's a long story, so I'll try and keep it short. Um, <laughs> my grandfather was a National Federation president in football. Right. Uh, he was the president of the Australian Soccer Football Federation and he had played for Scotland as a youth. Right. So he immigrated to Australia, and I was always surrounded by sporting people because yeah. of his role. I didn't really know much or think much about it when I was a kid because that was always the case. There right. were marathon runners and all sorts of olympians that were in my grandfather's sphere so that just seemed to be the normal thing uh i started playing football soccer at a very young age uh, about six i guess five or six and then did that for about 10 years became a coach and a referee and uh, but i like to do everything as many kids do so i did all the usual in australia the usual school sports track and field and swimming and water polo and volleyball and Rugby, <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then in university, I uh, got even more involved in sport. Actually, was on the University of Sydney uh, Sports Management Committee, which was really the governance body for sport at the university level. Right. And we organized national championships and things. Uh, and at that time, I was really getting into canoeing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I cycled as well. I did road cycling also from quite a young age. Right. Uh, from about nine So, I started competing young and many sports. The thing that really got my attention was actually the the Olympic Games. I was a bit of a, you know, I liked the, I had the Olympic dream. Yeah. yeah. uh, But I was also pinging around between different sports because I'd try something and I'd really like it. And then I'd see something else and I'd like that. And, (laughs) you know, typical. And that kind of led to multi sport um, because if you add more sports, it reduces the number of people who can do it, which means it's easier to to climb higher up the ladder. Right. And so I went through, I tried triathlon, obviously. Um, And that, when it first started, it was quite small. So it was super fun. And this is the, like the early eighties. Sure. Um, but I wasn't good enough. You know, I couldn't swim fast enough. I couldn't cycle fast enough. I couldn't run fast enough. So <laughs> I kept adding stuff. Right. Uh, around that time, adventure sports were getting quite popular in uh, Australia and New Zealand. Um, and then later on in France and the rest of the world. But that was adding more sports, which is good for me because I was already kayaker kayaker um, mm-hmm. with some pretty good, decent success at national level. Yeah. And so that led me to adventure racing, which is really obstacle sports. When you think about it, they're just very big obstacles. And in fact, some of the the adventure races, even in the early days, included man-made obstacles, just like you would see today in Spartan (laughs) Race or Toughest or Strong Viking or name name any obstacle race course race today. And that's what you'll see. And that was in the 80s. Um, So I had an early exposure to obstacle sports and obstacles within obstacles within sports at a young age. Uh, Relatively, you know, as a youth, certain yeah. university age. Um, then I had a f- you know, few careers. I was an engineer uh, in, the, in the biomedical engineering space. I, I got a master's in sports medicine because that was related to what I was doing. Yeah. But I really still wanted to be an athlete. Uh, never made it to the games. Yeah. <laughs> I did get some, made some national teams in canoe and kayak uh, and medaled in sailing amongst other things. But not at games. That was at world championship kind right. of championship level. Um, but still looking for the sport. Right? Never really, never really got to the sport that would work for me until uh, adventure racing became a really big television sport. So it yeah. had some major international broadcasts for about twenty years, from the late eighties until the uh, mid two thousands or late two thousands. Um, it was uh, very well watched. A lot of people weren't even born uh, when, not today, who are participating in obstacle sports, but the viewerships were in the hundreds of millions um, globally. And that rivals, or it's more than watch broadcasts for obstacle course racing, not as much as Ninja, (laughs) because Ninja, (laughs) as you can see, I don't know if people can see the screen behind me, but it's a picture of our Ninja World Champs. A billion people watch that. Globally, is in crazy. about 146 countries so it's pretty big so yep. ninja the ninja and the very short end, and technical end of obstacle course racing or obstacle racing is is huge in broadcast but right. less in participation so yeah. anyway one thing led to another i was i became a professional athlete because of the tv show competitions which were very lucrative mm. we had great sponsorships i got paid to race uh, kept prize money got incentives and bonuses and had a very uh comfortable career as an adventure athlete for almost 15 years Um, but that was not something I thought would last very long and as soon as I made the switch to a professional athlete I was immediately thinking of the exit strategy which uh, turned out to be uh, event and television production and so I started doing that quite early in my racing career but my my racing career kept going for another decade um, until I finally just had had enough. <laughs> it's hard being <laughs> mm-hmm. a professional athlete; it's really hard. Yeah. And after about uh, fifteen years, I was I just decided to retire. And right. I retired after my last World Championship win, which was my seventh in that sport. um Amazing. And I had uh, been to the X Games a few times, which was super fun. Right. Uh, managed to get gold, silver, and bronze medals there. Uh, but at this point, I, would, I was fully fledged event and television producer. So I was just doing that. And that then led to uh, other things because my sponsors had been largely shoe companies like Nike and Salomon. And I then had a career, a uh, seven-year stint uh, heading up product development research and education at Newton Running Company out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, so I went full on into uh, the shoe industry Right um, that I was still doing the event production. Um, and eventually the full circle came back and I got back into sports governance because my friend Joe De Senna, who founded Spartan Race, um, uh, suggested that uh, I look at least at the possibility of Spartan race becoming an Olympic sport.
2: Hmm.
0: Now that actually can't happen because they're a brand. Right. Um, and Joe, and I'd actually produced or directed um, Joe's first race when he was still in finance and back in two thousand and one. Yeah. And he, we knew each other before that. Um right. So we we cross paths a lot. We became quite good friends. Um, and I directed his first race, Expedition BVI, in two thousand and one. Uh, a colleague of ours, a mutual friend who was also uh, worked with Joe for many many decades, yeah. um, Colin McManus, suggested that I assist him with the idea of. The olympic kind of dream and i'm being someone with the olympic dream i thought oh this sounds great um, i also thought after circling back and and trying to um, reconnect to my old, old olympic colleagues i i rapidly came to the conclusion um, and had it confirmed that a brand cannot be a sport a sport is not a brand yeah. And so commercial interests are actually in conflict, have a huge conflict with the, the structure of sport, which is non-profit, democratic, federative, um, and exists not for its own gains, but only to represent the needs and the interests of the um, community in the sport. Correct. Uh, now, old school sports didn't exist as a sport. So there were lots of good events and shows, Ninja, uh, Ninja Warrior, Sasuke, Spartan race, toughest biking, strong biking. So all of these things existed. Mm. What didn't exist was the sport itself. So I basically told Joe the, what the facts were about the structure of sport and recommended right. that he did not pursue that as Spartan race because he would have to dismantle his own company to do it. Right. But be Ironman of the obstacle, if you like. You know, So Ironman is a brand within that has triathlon,
2: yeah.
0: but it's a brand. Yeah, it's a for-profit right. commercial interest, and it's not the sport. Um, the sport is run by the International Triathlon Union, so ITU runs it. They're the, the sporting organization. Yeah. And with that understanding, Joe and I, Joe said, great, that sounds, that sounds cool. You, you keep doing what you're doing if you want to do it, and I'll keep what I'm doing, and we'll all come back together at some point. Right. And that was uh, in 2014. So eight years later, <laughs> uh, here we are, and Ooh. I've just been working away for the past uh, several years to build the actual sport. Um, and that's a pretty heavy lift. It takes most sports 30 plus years to become a sport and then get recognized as a sport, and even longer to get medal events. Right. And there's some very good precedents for that. Like yeah. Surfing was founded in 1964. And they got their first medal event in 2000 and, well, two th- technically 2000, but 2020, but you know, t- uh, Tokyo 2020. Um, dance is another one. The Dance Federation yeah. has been around since nineteen twenty four, hmm. um, and their first medal event will be in two thousand and twenty four. One hundred years, and that's break or break dancing. Wow! So medal events and sports are slightly different things. They yeah. are events within sports, and then sports, if they are approved, recognized by the International Olympic Committee, can campaign for medal events at games. Right. And if if when I'm sure many people watched Tokyo 2020, saw some new sports and new events in there, climbing, yeah. fantastic, surfing. Um, I absolutely loved the skateboarding. I thought that was fantastic. And the cycling, oh, gosh. So the <laughs> new sports are just wonderful to me. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so engaging and fantastic and fun to watch.
2: Right.
0: Um, so they're, they're new, and that's a new system. There's a lot of explanation around sports. very complicated. <laughs> Not many people understand it, even people in sport. Yeah, uh, But getting medal events is, is quite good because it gives exposure to the sport yeah. and some validity and people like to watch stuff. So um, it's not everything. I mean, there's lots of sports that are huge with lots of money that have nothing to do with the Olympics. Right. Um, and, but most, most are and most do. And it helps validate. It's useful. It's good to see stuff. It's fun. People like games. Games are terrific. If you ever get to go to one, they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, and there's actually oh. many games uh, there's regional games, <laughs> so right. you can see games all over the place, all recognized by the International Olympic Committee. Southeast Asia Games, the countries in Southeast Asia, uh, quite quite big. I think it's the biggest in terms of the number of sports. Fifty six, I believe, fifty six right. sports. Um, we've had event medal events, obstacle. So our organization, World Obstacle, and our members have had. Uh, we have had uh, medal events in games. So we had six medal events in the Southeast Asia Games in 2019. And they were all obstacle sport events: hundred meters, four hundred meters, relays, men, women, five k, um, that kind of stuff. And that's that's quite that's very progressive we only formalized in two thousand eighteen, and we got approved for medal events and had medal events in two thousand and nineteen. And that's I'm not sure that's ever been done, to be honest. Anyway, so we're we're fairly far along. We believe we've overcome. We've been told we've uh, satisfied all criteria for recognition as a sport. Um, the first step is actually an organization called GEISF, Global Association of International Sports Federations. Right. Um, and that leads directly into the next step, which is recognition as an Olympic sport. So we're, we believe we're very, very close, uh, which is interesting because that means our track will have been from formalization to recognition feasibly. I don't know, feasibly this year. I would hope that would be really nice. It's yeah. only a few years. And that's it. Never happened. (laughs) Not not even. That's ten times faster than any sports ever done it.
1: Right. No, that's 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 crazy. I mean, like I'm just sitting here listening, and there's like you know so much, just you know, context around it that it's just you know. I, I think a lot of people that are not like, really like into that kind of like olympic bubble like the requirements the expectations like the reality of like all the steps and and stones that you have to like you know go to i'm just like sitting here learning so i was like hey, where am i where i'm gonna angle this you know where do i go from here but uh but i mean like i wanted to go a little bit back as well to just what, what you talk a little bit about you know with spartan and and the ninja warrior as well which is sort of like more like commercialized you know products and i guess like the spartan race is you know i guess one of the most famous one as well in terms of you know especially a boost you know the last you know decade i would say probably like at least during 2000 and and I sort of like you know looking back to like i guess when you were involved with um you know i guess building the framework uh, of that first race and like where that has gone you know to where it is today like how do you how do you like see that process, and how much did that kind of like the realization of okay, we're not going an Olympic route impacting
0: that from the leadership team there?
1: Oh, Spartan Race,
0: yeah, yeah. I you know I don't know a whole lot about the internal workings of Spartan um, sure. Race, but my observation is that they are they're quite happy being um, the dominant commercial brand globally, mm-hmm. and they they're good at it. Um, they have, you know, they're, they're very proficient at what they do, um, but they are getting much, much closer with alignment to the sport. And Joe and I have always had this goal, uh, make sure that these things all line up. Same with broadcast. That's why we're very closely tied to, um, the ninja space or ninja warrior space, which is a commercial broadcast piece. And that's not, that's not true. That's not even pure competition, right? Spartan Spartan race products are competition. Um, and a huge amount of not competition as well, especially right. the tough mudder end, because that's yeah. participation, which is necessary and important and wonderful,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that that is part of sport. You don't have to compete to be in a sport. Pure sport, by definition, is competition, but that doesn't preclude or ignore the fact that most people simply don't compete or don't really care that much about competition. Right. A lot of people like to watch, which yeah. is great. It's like Ninja Warrior. Like that's, Ninja, that, Warrior.
2: yeah. I mean, like yeah, Ninja
0: Warrior. That's it's a it's a TV show, um, but uh, it is a competition. Or is it, well, it's technically it's a TV show competition because right. there's winners and you know, people and losers mm-hmm. and prizes and. Uh, but it's not sport for many reasons because it's produced, which means that if you when you watch a a one hour show, which is actually like forty two or forty four minutes, right. um, they shoot that show for well the whole thing end to end is probably days but the actual shoot is can be you know, 10 12 or more hours right. and they distill that down because they edit it they edit it because they want to show just the best stuff right right sport is that is not sport pure yeah. sport it's the entire thing when you watch Climbing, when you want anything in the in the games or a, a competition, cycling, yeah, Tour de France, you see the whole thing. Right. It's not edited. That's just because it's real and it's live and it's <laughs> that's right. the whole thing. So the best way, in my opinion, and my, my observation, I guess, over yeah. now, 40 years of being involved in sport is that um, done well, sport combines everything. So you have participation you have competition, you have broadcast, uh, you have uh, ideally games, medal events, mm. you have strong commercial interests and they all work together nicely and, and play very happily in the same playground. Right. Um, that's, that's what uh, one of our goals is to facilitate and ensure that uh, everyone collaborates. It's impossible, in my opinion, because (laughs) inevitably, (laughs) there are some interests that just don't want to play, or they want to own something, or they want to have it for themselves. And that's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, You see it. Triathlon is not a bad example. Ironman sometimes plays well with triathlon, and sometimes they don't. Right. Um, They want to have their own thing, and sometimes they don't. Right. Uh, And that's okay. Uh, They've tried over various years. They've had memorandums of understanding to try and align sport and brand, but... Sure. generally they don't work, work particularly well together it doesn't affect the athletes terribly it's not great right. Right. but they you know, the athletes will, will often do both they will yeah. do Ironman events um, but they'll also compete in the uh, international or Olympic format um, for the most part they tend to stay a little bit separate but yeah. they tra- they transition across quite, quite comfortably I mean you'll see Olympians going to Ironman or Sometimes, sometimes less so. Ironman triathletes uh, pursuing the Olympic format, right? But our goal is have everything all together and be really happy about it. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, well, looking a little bit into like obviously you know fast forwarding into today with obviously you know now you know as as I guess people have seen in your your, your title and the intro I did, you're obviously you know the president of the World Obstacle, um, also known as FISO, and and I guess like you know what would you say? Are some of your key responsibilities you know today in your role? Yeah, my
0: yeah, my job is to lead. Um, I I can't make decisions for the sport, uh, but as a, a president of a sport is an elected position, right? And it's a volunteer position because we're a volunteer organization. Yeah. Um, so and it's all democratic. Now, as also because I founded uh, and started the organization. I actually get to, to hang around in the sport. I can't really get kicked out, and I don't want to leave until we make sure that we've achieved recognition. Then I'm happy to disappear. Right. Um, but once we achieve recognition, then my job is done. Uh, we've seen problems with some sports where uh, there's an endless um, rotation of people leading, and they lead in different directions, and that can upset the trajectory of the sport. That's a terrible idea. Right. Um, I've seen it happen. I've been involved in sports where that's happened and it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out very well. Right. So we, we look, we've been learning from um, our experience and our colleagues' experience, gathering people together who believe in obstacle sports and the power of what it does for people because we want to make better people ultimately. Um, and if they stick around and they don't get paid because it is volunteer, yeah. that means that, that they're really passionate about it. Right. Um, the ones that want to get paid, or have a commercial upside, uh, they are pursuing things for their own gain, not for the benefit of the of the community. And that is not what sport does. Right. So you'll, you'll see various brands and commercial interests that um, are private companies that claim that they're sport or they look like sport or try to look like sport and are quite devious in the way they present themselves. Right. And they say, we're the sport. We do this. As, we're the only thing that can be recognized as sport. Yet they can't because they are privately owned commercial interests that exist for their own gains, not for the benefit of the community, even if they say they do,
2: yeah,
0: which they often do. They say, we're here for you, but they're not right. <laughs> because right. they're, they're, they're they pursue profit and yeah. they profit from the people that participate in the events. That is not representing their needs. That's taking money from them. Yeah even if they say something else that they are not doing that. And we can't, we won't, we can't constitutionally, legally, ethically, morally, we are required to, and should, and want to um, elevate everyone. And we're happy to include, and we want to include and be friendly and work with all the commercial interests that benefits everyone. Sometimes they don't want to work with us and that's okay too.
1: Right. Right. And I I guess like, from uh from from the journey though, that, that you were talking about as well that you know your your stages as well that you were talking about it was like, okay, you're creating something new here and you have mm-hmm. like you know these you know requirements and, and 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 sort of like steps that you have to go through and and considering that process has gone a lot fat a lot faster than you than you expected. then how do you how do you kind of like just how is I guess like that? speed boost impacted you know the way i guess your your roadmap, i guess in a sense and your decision process because then with the recognition that you're talking about and, and sort of like having that championships the, the the metal metal events right then the commercial uh, side of things also are, are starting to approach right
0: yeah they well i i look at sport um apart from its goals of what it should do. Um, creating a structure and the systems to uh, ensure that there's a legacy that maintains the goals. If you look at the very, very highest level of the goal of sport, our sport specifically, um, we want to make better humans. And to do that, you need to get in front of lots of people so they can see it, uh, then create an aspirational space, meaning something that they, they look at and they go, oh, yeah, that's, I can aspire to that. It has to be a bit more than aspire and I'm borrowing someone else's language, but you, you then need to inspire them. So the Olympics is quite a good, the Olympic games is quite a good example. People see it and they're all excited, right? So that's the aspirational part. And some people get inspired to do something. So they, they see whatever their sport is on at the games. um, And then they get off the couch and they go and do it. So that's inspiration to perspiration. So aspiration, inspiration, perspiration. That's quite a nice Thing and the more people that see it, and the more people that are inspired, uh, the the easier it is to to make people or not make, but inspire them to actually do something and and make them a better person. And that's that's fitness and health and mental wellness and things that make people better people, um, right. and and put their focus towards something that is quite productive. So uh, rather than you know, sitting watching video games, which is not bad by itself but in isolation if that's all you do that's not healthy right um so you if you get people to a place where they're doing these really good things they're moving they're they're out in the wilderness enjoying it and then maybe getting inspired to, to preserve the environment uh you know, these things are useful to make better humans and ultimately benefit all of humanity now if you can shift the global needle just a little bit mm. then that's that's good and that's what we want to do you want to shift the needle a bit the more right. people that see it the more you can shift the needle. And consequently, yeah. uh, alignment and recognition as an Olympic sport, as an example, is quite useful because four or five billion people watch the Olympic Games, right which means is. that you can influence a lot of people yeah. if, you, if a lot of people see it. And that's, that's part of the goal. So oh. this means that putting the structures and systems in for the legacy uh, requires a bit of reverse engineering. Right. Meaning our sport is, uh, I call it a bespoke sport, meaning it's a designer sport. All the bits are there. Mm. People love it. People do it. People watch it. You know, that's all there. But what to make it really good, we glue it all together. All the bits come together. Uh, and then we ensure that the stuff people see, so that's the broadcast stuff, the media content. Right. We make that really visible. Yep. And this is this is very easy. It's not easy. Uh, this is <laughs> um, feasible today. And part of the reason obstacle sports are quite big, because of technology. Mm-hmm. And technology is really important. The legacy sports, the really old ones, uh, are quite slow to adopt it. Right. With opposite. For example, typically the, the most important meeting of a sport is called the Congress. It's, the, it's all the members coming together and voting and making big decisions. Right. Well, Congresses um, are often used in an unethical way because you can buy votes. Of the members by flying them in, you know, first class seats to a five star hotel and wonderful meals, and it's a big incentive for some people. Yeah. And if you come from a little tiny country in sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast Asia or anywhere,
2: right.
0: um, that might be enough to influence a vote. Right. So we don't do that. We actually do the opposite. We've always had Zoom Congresses since 2015. We've had them on Zoom. Yeah. And Zoom, there is no incentive for people to vote if they're on Zoom. You get like vote. a
1: special background or something? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is technology. And this is a benefit yeah. of technology is that we can have hundreds of people attend a Congress um, on Zoom without them being incentivized by not fancy hotels and meals. Right. Which is, which is actually quite common in sport is people well you know, someone will say hey i'll fly you into this congress right or maybe the president does the president uses the funds of the organization yeah to fly people in to get votes for himself that's not okay yeah that's terrible behavior but it, yeah. it happens no so, like
1: you see you've seen enough stories of, of of that in in sports so that the last you know few years more uh you know obvious than than, than before i guess but at the end it comes down to people digging right and, and being aware of what's really is going on right so that's right it's a very important step
0: yeah and, and technology has many many benefits the way people consume media today is and for the past 10 years really has been very much in handheld devices right um, i think people are sort of people many people uh who are now adults have their brains wired to their devices because that's how they grew up from the, you know, as as their brains are developing as a young adult into a young adult, um, the devices have been around long enough now, uh, well, a really long time, it's over 10 years that let's say you are 10 when you got your first smartphone and now you're 20 and you've graduated from university, your brain is wired to the device. You you think it's part of how you interact with the world. That's a huge advantage to doing sport well, because you can now push content to a lot of people rapidly in real time. Yeah, And I struggle keeping up with it. Frankly, I'm 57 and I just, you know, I didn't grow up with that. I grew up with telephones where you had to push a button or dial, move a dial and right. this kind of thing. Right. So, and there were three television channels. I mean, this is the world today is so different is that it's a little challenging for me to keep up. But having said that i don't you know i'm not the tech guy i just say i see this happening and then a committee or commission in the organization will say well this is what we can do right um and i i know it's there i see people doing it i just don't know how to do that stuff and that's what that's part of a president a leadership position i don't know how to do that right. i mean the we've got Oh, i think 80 more than eighty people in our committees and commissions, and they're the experts. They right. they recommend, they guide, they they make decisions about how things should work, um, and then ultimately they get accepted if they're good. So that's you know, that's that's an organisational structure that makes it fairly straightforward in how a sport is run. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: You can't be an expert in everything, and I'm certainly not. Well, I've seen sure. a lot of stuff, but I'm certainly not an expert. Um, right. I see things that I can help guide. And that's what a president should do. That's a leadership position. Management's different. Yeah, managing stuff is a whole different deal. (laughs) And we have we actually have a staff for that. That's called the secretary. It's basically the office. That is a paid place uh, in most sports. We don't have money, but when we do, that they're paid positions. Volunteer for now. They're the managers. They're the people that make stuff happen. Right. So the and in sport, it's generally called a secretary general. Leads that CEO in a company would be the same the chief executive officer, same as the secretary general. So we have a CEO, we have a deputy CEO, we have positions in the sport and they, they run stuff They right. They do the administration of the sport and implement things.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and then the, the committees and commissions, they make recommendations because they're the experts, you know, competition rules, uh, event formats, all the stuff that the sport is, right. um, they come out of, and the, the members of those come out of the members of the organization. So they're the, from the, from the countries. So each country has a national governing body or a national federation, yeah. they're the members of the international federation and the national governing bodies, um, they represent the needs of their communities, which is lots of athletes, mostly um, some commercial interests and other things. So it's it's representational. Yeah, um, It's democratic. It's a system that works quite well done. Done well, it works really well. Right. Um, As so our goal should be yeah as it should be and then and then development partners so sport and global is a development partner of ours and we're really excited to have companies like sport and global um major events international and other big international sport players as development partners they get to work together so we just facilitate the collaboration right and then when we get to deploy things that people care about and that's events <laughs> for the athletes yeah. if they want events that's what the yeah. sport is Um, we get to collaborate with all our development partners, which we I think we have twelve now. We haven't announced this, but uh you can hear a little prelude to it, which will be announced at our Congress coming up in a couple of weeks. Um this is this is the power that we can bring to benefiting the athletes and the community. And what they care about is they care about events, they want them to be safe, they want Mm -hmm. them to be fair. They want them to be cheap (laughs) accessible if you you think about it if you go to an event you want it to be cheap and fair and you know all this stuff right right? so that's what but that's what we do so our goal this is this is where uh, standards and regulations come in yeah people confuse these they kind of get it wrong they think oh you're going to stifle a sport you're going to restrict it by putting things in that we can't do or make it expensive and it's actually the opposite obstacle sports by nature are very dynamic they're right. constantly changing. They're innovative. They're, you know, you see different stuff at every race It's great. Uh, it's what makes it exciting. Right. Yeah. So part of our goal is to ensure that that's always the case, that there's constant change and in innovation. Anyone can do anything, anytime you invent an obstacle. Fantastic. Go for it. Uh, what we do is make it, so our regulations are about things like safety mm. and that's you know, medical health uh, injury, uh, safety is super important so we have we have strict regulations or guidelines right. at the moment but right. they'll they become an international standard very very soon um we need that necessary important don't electrocute and kill people don't let them fall off high things and die i mean that's important so that, that's their standards that we help produce we also have uh basic competition standards at least a framework for fairness right. fairness is a big deal and in obstacle course racing, where there's lots and lots, there can be many people with lots yep. of obstacles. It's sort yep. of hard to follow, and it's quite difficult to um, judge and officiate on the obstacles themselves. Mm. In the way it's it's done in most competitions and most brands, it's actually a terrible problem. Um, so fairness becomes a big deal. Yep. Cheating, basically, it's easy to cheat or just kind of shrug your shoulders and like go around an obstacle or oh, yeah. not do it properly, and that, that creates a challenge. So we've come up with the system that we've been testing now for well, since 2017, yeah. um, and we, it, it culminated in the Southeast Asia Games when we had the medal events. So we implemented the rules, the basic rules for, for fairness at right. the Southeast Asia Games medal events, yeah. and uh, they started actually in the US, at so the US National Champs, but now it's become fairly widely accepted by the national federations who who are all testing it and guiding how how those rules actually work at the end point. And it takes years. So we are now quite a few years in on those rules. Uh, European champs are next. They're implementing the rules. The Asia champs have already done it. Asia-Pacific champs have already done it. The Americas have been doing it uh, quite soon. I think by the end of next year, uh, the, the competition rules for fairness will be fairly well established. Right. Um. At least for the sport brands, of course, have their own rules, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But for it's like Ironman versus ITU, their their versions of triathlon have different rules, as they should. Yeah, they're no, different I, things, right? Spartan Race has their rules. Toughest has their rules. <laughs> Song wagon has their rules. Right. They all have their own rules. Great. That's fine. Um. But there are things that you can do to make it much easier to judge and much fairer and safer, actually. Yeah. For the athletes.
1: And, and that's, that's the, the thing too, right? It, it also, you know, creates, uh, I guess, like a kind of audience, right? Of athletes, of, of you know, what, what they represent. It's kind of like very clear, right? Of like building that structure and frameworks. It also like, you know, put some initial, you know, frameworks for the athletes of knowing what they're going into, like what are the expectations and requirements to, you know, be part of this, right? And that's, right. that's yeah. something new. You need those, you know, in place. Because if not, it, it's it's kind of like ends up in a way where everyone just well will do what we what we can do, you know, in order to win. So it's that, that I think is extremely important. I mean, like we, I think we see like you know back in the day, like very very young or like far back. We like I remember like stories when I was like studying. Uh, all, all these sports stories from 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 back in the time, and and we're like you had like marathon runs where like you know athletes were you know taking the bus you know like from from one side to another, and like suddenly they were ahead, right? And people didn't know, right? Because there was no TV production, there was no you know nobody. So it's almost like a trust trust element to which i guess like it's gonna be also very important to the obstacle side of things although you know obviously you're you're being able to monitor and like and follow and all this stuff it's it's still like setting those frameworks and guidelines of what it is to be part of you know these you know championship and these events is a benchmark for the athletes of knowing what they're going into and then i mean like as you said there's there's different rules and different regulations on what kind of ways you you choose but you have to like stick with those and having that very clear
0: yeah and there's if you listen carefully to different countries and and see enough of different countries in different regions there are cultural um biases that uh, that influence how people approach events and events and how they officiate events so if you're doing a race in russia um it's very, very different the way they're managed and officiated, and the rules that have developed compared to, say, the Philippines or mm-hmm. the United States or Norway or right. uh, another country. The the cultural and historic, and sometimes political and religious impositions on how events are run and managed and approached is quite different. Yeah, and you can see this. Uh, I guess I'll use the the. The Eastern Bloc—that's probably not a good example. Some countries, there's a culture of trying to flex the rules. That's mm. a nice way of saying it. Right. Right. <laughs> In some countries, right, uh, like uh, for the most part, Scandinavia and Germany, yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the Commonwealth countries, cheating is a terrible, terribly—it's looked at horribly. It's, its you don't do it. It's not okay. If you're in Germany and you try and cheat, the entire field will look at you and go, not okay, you can't do that. It's right. self-regulated, right? They, they they meet the rules, they stay by the rules. Yeah. Some countries and cultures really like rules and they stick by rules. Right. Some countries do not like rules and really believe, well, they, they approach rules differently. They they view rules as loose guidelines.
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and that's
0: a different approach. So, knowing that, and that varies across the entire world, and continents have different approaches to how they approach rules. What we've learned uh, now, with over 100 countries in the system, is that the rules, the international ones, have to accommodate all of that
2: Mm.
0: because some athletes will just assume that you're supposed to try and flex the rules, right? Now, someone from another country will look at them. Making that assumption and trying to flex the rules and go, you're cheating.
2: Right.
0: So, in some countries, the culture says, that's cheating, it's not okay. In other countries, they say, that's flexing, that's normal and right. expected. Right. So, when you put all that together, it gets quite complicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, but over years and years of, of working with the countries, um, and we have these ongoing discussions with the countries right. about how to approach these rules. So we learn a lot from the countries because they say, you can't use that rule because the athletes will do this. And I, sit and I go, wow, I've never seen that before. No, <laughs> but then you have right. entire, entire countries and regions doing exactly that and you go, oh, wow. I had no idea. Huh. <laughs> and then someone from one of those countries goes and does a race in, let's say Germany is our example. And it's not okay because no one does that in Germany. Right. And they, they can't understand why someone would even think about doing it. Right, right. <laughs> So anyway, so that's some, of the, that's some of the things that we learn um, as a sport. It's probably useful to understand the structure of sport. Most people don't know what that is either. Right. And what I mean is um, obstacle sports are very much like aquatics and athletics and cycling. And to use one example, let's say athletics. Uh, they, all just, they all use the same structure, by the way. Mm. The sport is athletics. Inside athletics disciplines and inside disciplines are events so a discipline of uh, athletics or disciplines are things like sprints throws Mm -hmm. jumps uh middle distance marathon mountain running trail running they're all disciplines and within each one let's say mountain running uh, there's different distances and there's different styles and there's you know, there's different stuff. Same with sprints. You know, it's 100 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters, and then there's hurdles. That's another discipline. Obstacle sports is very much like that, as are aquatics and uh, cycling. Maybe aquatics is a better example because aquatic sports include swimming, open water swimming, diving, high diving, artistic swimming, and water polo.
2: Mm.
0: That's aquatics. Most people don't know that. Even people in the sport had no idea. Right. They do not really care to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Same with yeah. obstacle sports. Like most people inside their own sport or what they perceive as a, an entire sport don't really understand that other pieces of the sport exist all over the place. Mm. So if you're competing in ninja warrior TV shows, a lot of people in, who are doing the TV shows think that it's a sport, even right. if it's a TV show. And then someone doing a Spartan race think that Spartan race is a sport. It's a brand. Right. Um, But they all—they are all part of obstacle sports. So, you know, uh, Spartan race uh, is squarely in obstacle course racing, which is a discipline. Mm. There's another piece to obstacle sports—one I mentioned really early on, which is adventure racing. Yeah, that's lots of big obstacles. Um, Adventure racing, uh, at one point before obstacle course racing became a thing, uh, they had things that people today would step into and say, that's an obstacle course race. They were called sprint adventure races, manufactured obstacles, walls and nets and ropes and Mm -hmm. crawls and walls. All of that stuff was in adventure racing on the short end for at least a decade before obstacle course racing became a thing. Most people don't even know that existed. And it was huge. (laughs) It was an enormous thing. Uh, So, and these are all obstacle sports, different disciplines, uh, different events in those disciplines. Yeah. Just an obstacle course racing. You've got things that are very short to things that are very long. Right. Uh, Ultra, ultra OCR as an example.
1: Right. Uh, I was was, uh, wondering a little bit of, because we've been touching a lot about I think like the structure a little bit about like also how you guys are, you know, looking at an innovation side of things, but, but if we're, um, you know, now that we're kind of like into i guess like the new normal with you know we're we're still obviously you know dealing a little bit with the pandemic of, of, of everything but but uh how in a sense did the pandemic you know impact the obstacle uh the world obstacle and and i guess like what are some of the challenges that that you had to solve uh together with the members and and i guess like the 100 countries you know involved in this because you know it's it's a global pandemic right so it
0: impacts everyone it is yeah obviously for the live events they got shut down immediately and that was terrible for all sport and all events Uh, for world obstacle it created an opportunity not one we wanted but it created one um, which was hybrid events yeah so we call them virtual physical or hybrid or blended Um, some people call them uh, Virtual—they're not virtual, obviously, because people are actually doing something. Uh, but that—that that became immediately obvious that we should we should do that. Fortunately, we'd already been working on something quite similar because we <laughs> understood that uh, to uh, for inclusivity and democratization of sport, it means that everyone should be able to do it from anywhere. And that's not the case with sport because yep. if you if you're from a poor country, it's unlikely you can travel or even have equipment to train, to do lots of sports. Let's say triathlon. If you're you're in Africa, there's one Olympic pool. My understanding is there's one Olympic pool in the entire continent of Africa. Why do you think there's no Africans or very few African swimmers? Because there's no swimming pools. And yet people say, oh no, it's because they're not good at swimming. Yeah, they're not good at swimming because there's no swimming pools. <laughs> so we're, uh, one of our goals was to democratize obstacle sports and just make it possible for anyone, anywhere to do it, anytime. And that's actually quite easy because if if you're, you have lifts and carries and jumps and runs and stuff, like, if you're in in most most countries in the world, you can lift rocks, you can jump over logs or trees or rocks or you know um all sorts of stuff and that's basically what obstacle course racing is it's just running around and lifting carrying swinging jumping pulling you know all that stuff Um, ninja obviously is way more difficult because (laughs) there's a little bit more equipment involved yeah Um, but the democratization having hybrid and and, uh, blended sports where it's 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 remote but it's also actually there physical yeah uh, presented an immediate opportunity spartan race Um, jumped on it quickly too. And we collaborated very early on in March last year with, they called it, for theirs, it was unbroken. It was a way for their athletes to participate in something with no Mm -hmm. live events. Right. Uh, And we worked with them and our collective goal was to get a million people in 100 countries uh, to do a collaborative event. And it turns out that 3 million people registered so it became the first and maybe even now to this date, the biggest um, hybrid event ever put on. And we achieved all of our goals, exceeded them.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then that
0: developed into some, it kind of went separate ways, but we, we developed it as competition, pure competition, which makes it actually challenging. But technology has a huge benefit <laughs> because you can use technology to do all sorts of things like tracking yeah. uh, how far people go, how fast they went. Um, the obstacle completion, all these sort of things. Right. Make technology makes it completely feasible. So we we then did a World Series um, led off to, I think, six events that led to World Series finals and results and all that kind of stuff. And so that was uh, that was also, I believe, the first World Series, a virtual, physical, a hybrid event of any sport. So we did the first competition in any sport as a hybrid event that we know of yeah. um, and also the first World Series right
1: and and i mean like in a sense though leading into the innovation side of things of of being first right which which is, i guess um you know something that i I guess is 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 quite challenging and if you look at it from like a very organizational structure right because you're you're and, and even for for you guys in a sense too of like you know building all these frameworks around in the structure as we've been talking talking about throughout the podcast and i guess like how do you balance, you know, building that structure and frameworks while making sure to utilizing, you know, innovative solutions, technology, you know, maybe even like the startup ecosystem. Uh, of course, like, you know, I, I, I didn't mention it as well in the, be, in the beginning, but like, of course, we're super proud of, you know, being a partner of you guys and being involved with that. And it, it means a lot for us to to be part of it, of course. And, and uh, you know, aside from that, like how, how do you balance those things and, and, and making sure that you, you know, you, you look not only looking at those opportunities, but are taking them. Right. Because I think there's a lot of, you know, organizational and, and infrastructure out there that are, you know, they are aware, but they're kind of like, just feel like, yeah, it's too much hassle or like, we'll, we'll just wait a little bit longer. Right. Maybe when the pandemic is over, like they don't capitalize, you know, which, which is sort of like the, the heart of, of a lot of challenges with, the, with, the, with people
0: struggling with innovative, right? Yeah, innovation for us is, is not hard. We, uh, we embrace innovation. We actually aggressively pursue innovation. Right. Um, our approach, our general approach is that um, if it hasn't been done, we question why it hasn't been done in another sport or sport in general. Mm-hmm. And then if we see innovative things that are quite new, we will, we will chase those um, and then form partnerships, just like ours, with Sport and Global and World Obstacle. It's a great partnership because you you're in a space that we know nothing much about. We know it's there, and we understand that the benefits of it. You're the experts. That's not us. You're the experts. The collective benefit is that with quite a few partners in all these different spaces um, that all contribute to uh, the benefit of sport, uh, we all benefit from each other. And quite, I believe, quite quickly the tangible benefits that allow things to progress and keep going, which is financial, you can't do them without money. Um, The financial benefits come quite quickly because the power of the collective, the the consortium of organisations, understanding that they learn from each other and benefit each other is incredibly powerful. It's not really done In very well in sports. Some sports do quite well, but for the most part, they don't or don't really understand it and don't understand the opportunity or they're so big, uh, they can't move very quickly. Right. That's where strong leadership comes in. You can see what's been happening in the International Olympic Committee. They have a very strong president uh, who's a very good leader. So Thomas Bach has since uh, 20, gosh, um, 2015, I think, uh, has been shaping international sport the sort of the way we are. So we look at them and we're following the things they do well, yeah, um, such as embracing innovation and new sports and youth, and that's good. The old legacy systems are sort of hard to unseat and break. Right. Um, but that's not us. <laughs> we, right. We're we're ahead of the curve. Being on Zoom <laughs> in 2015, most people didn't even know about it in 2020, because, and then they had to do it, right? So right. But we, right. we were five years in already. Yeah. So we, so these are things that we've already already done, and it's the same as um, the stru- membership structure for federations. ours is all is all uh, on um, technology platforms, right? And a lot of sports are still using paper i've been to world championships and things where i I, it shocked me that people had clipboards and paper right i I, I was just shocked i couldn't understand uh, that they were still doing that and i didn't understand why they were still doing it because it just seemed so 20th century right Right. (laughs) so we we will always look to the benefits and here's, I think here's the thing that has made us quite rapid in our progression. Yeah. We know that technology changes incredibly fast. If you follow Moore's law, which most people should know about if they don't, it's uh, the capability or speed of technology doubles every 18 months and halves in price every 18 months. Right. Moore's law has been in effect since technology really kicked in the 1980s. Yeah. It has not failed us yet. So every 18 months technology gets twice as good and half as half as expensive. Right. And we know that. So knowing that every 18 months there's something new will be twice as good and half the price. Yeah, We know that every 18 months we should be looking for the new technology. We're yeah. constantly looking for it. Right. Constantly. And that's how to address uh, today's world is just always look for, always look for the change, embrace yes. it and look for it. And most, most many, um other sports and organizations are quite resistant to change right which i think is the that will cause that's uh that's not a good outcome for them
1: right and, and i guess like but it, it leads it also to the, the the stages right of like you know innovation in terms of early adopters right of like you know most people are afraid of the risks associated with you know innovation right because what like the big what if, right? Of like, well, what if it fails? What if it doesn't work? Right? What if it, you know, does? But I think like a, a lot of people just, you know, you know, want to be certain, right? They kind of like just waiting for that confirmation that. And I mean, like, I, I mean, like, I'm not gonna go, you know, too personal on, on this, but but it's like, I don't know how many times like I've been compared to LinkedIn, <laughs> you know? And I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong, but it's also like, you know. LinkedIn has ten thousand staff. You know we're uh, we're like you know three four people. So I'm not saying like we can do stuff and we will do stuff and we do it a lot faster than than most people, right? Mm-hmm. But but we also have to like reality check, right? Of like where where can things go and where is that you know reasoning of when do you join in, right? And and taking that you know risk and then of course from from our side and innovation side and then I guess like from your side too, with with partnerships is like how do you you know limit those risks and making sure that the 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 benefits and the long term benefits as that is part of it like is is creating value for you know wherever you a know, world obstacle has obviously in in this situation right.
0: yeah it's a good question there's most people obviously are not the, the early adopters that's why they're early adopters because there's not many of them right um, we I the way I approach. Uh, adopting technology is the risk is not that it would fail or it didn't turn out. The risk is that it did succeed, but you didn't get in early enough. Right, That's a bigger risk. I mean, you can try all sorts of stuff and if it doesn't work, fine, you you move on to something else. There's no downside to that, really. There's a big downside to not addressing it or not trying it. If you don't try, not trying something is a terrible mistake. I We fully believe, just try it try. You got to try. Yeah. You got to have a goal to try <laughs> because right. if you don't, you will immediately fail. Yeah. Not trying is failure. So trying though, no, there's no downside. Sure. I try all sorts of stuff. I'm going to try swinging through this obstacle with my hands this direction. And what happens if I fail? Well, I'll try another way. Won't I? Right. But there's The downside is you didn't try because if you didn't try, you didn't know. If you didn't know you failed immediately.
1: Exactly. So, yeah.
0: And that's, that's exactly how we approach It's that you got to try. Right. Yep, maybe 80, 90% of stuff won't work out the way you thought it would. And even if it didn't work out the way you thought it would, maybe the way it worked out is even better.
1: Right, and, and that's the thing too, right? I mean, like, yeah, and that, that's the beauty of innovation too, is that it, it kind of like, as you were saying, like it, it changes so rapidly and things are moving so fast that by also kind of like, you know, grabbing that opportunity, you can also impact it, right? Which, which I think a lot of people don't think about. They kind of like just wanted it to be the way it they kind of like how they maybe see or expect it right and then instead of like thinking well here I can you know be part of you know creating the future I'm kind of like just joining whatever you know solution that is out there and I think that's a very key element of like how organizations and leaders should think innovation right is is understanding the the impact you know and, and voice they can have in it because i mean like that's that that i think is a extremely key lesson uh and as you were saying too right you're 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 talking about like fomo right for your missing out and that's that's essentially it like when well once once you're already t- like uh, if you don't try it and, and suddenly you know it, it booms out and you're you're not part of it then you're like well that was your opportunity you had the chance right to impact that's right Now you don't have that anymore.
0: (laughs) That's exactly right. So innovation and technology are important to us. Um, I think most people appreciate that. The the biggest companies on earth today are technology companies, information and technology companies. So we we like that. Uh, And uh, that's what people do. So we're just going to keep representing the needs of the people, which is what we're supposed to do. There's a a constitutional thing. I think this helps people understand what we are. World obstacle exists to represent the needs of the obstacle community. That's it. That's what we do. Uh, And that's done through engaging them. Anyone can, if people say that's a bad idea, or you're doing a terrible job, our answer is great. Be involved, come and help make a better idea. Give, give us the, come in and be part of it and let's get those ideas because that's what we should do. And there's plenty of people will say, yes, but I do this event and what you're doing over there is not that my event so your event is wrong well <laughs> it's an interesting approach right. but just because you don't like what someone else is doing doesn't mean that they should do what you do right and this is this is kind of a philosophical thing i guess but it's like uh, this is my religion and i don't like your religion we don't care right all religions are okay with us you know, all beliefs or religions or everything that's all okay and that's constitutional Right. That is a requirement of being part of the sport is you are required to accept everything and everyone and all their ideas yeah. because there's nothing wrong that no one has a wrong idea. I mean, I think some cultural and moral norms are wrong. I mean, uh, determine what right and wrong is Yeah, At murder. That's not, that's not okay. So that's not okay. Right. I think most countries that's not okay. <laughs> right.
2: Right.
0: And if your belief is that murder is okay, well, you don't belong in our organization. It's that simple right Uh, and same with sexual predation Uh, that's not okay so you do that you're not okay in our organization and there are rules so you either you play to the rules or you don't and those rules are widely accepted around the world so we uphold those things are widely accepted united nations actually is a good barometer for that because they, they they establish what humans should do yeah um and we uphold those basic rights of humans so that's you know, that's part of sport too. As we get to do that, we can establish our own culture. And, yeah. and we want one that is moral and ethical and professionally sound and <laughs> represents yeah. everyone's needs as and an provides a mechanism. One, you know. Yeah, as it should be. I mean, all they should all be like that. Actually, the US, the US constitution is quite a is quite a good framework. If done well, it's quite good. And it's uh, we we borrow from that in the language which is Governance of the athletes, by the athletes, for the athletes.
2: Mm.
0: I think most constitutions have that, uh, like, for countries, have that kind of idea, right. um, by and for the people. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. that's what sport should be. So that, that's where we go with it. That
1: makes, um, makes, makes, makes total yeah. sense i wanted i mean like we uh we, we've been <laughs> we've been talking a lot <laughs> we, we should talk I <laughs> and uh and i think there, there's like i mean like we could we could go and like talk about sports and infrastructure and and governance and like you know all this good stuff like for 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 a long time i think and i mean like you're you have so much you know knowledge uh from, from just like your your vast experience and like in, in your current role when things are happening but I think like, you know, to wrap things up a little bit and to sort of like um, narrow it down, like simplifying things a little bit, I I would say to, uh, you know, students, sports students out there that are, you know, banging on the door right now and just... You know want to get in but they're kind of frustrated they kind of lost you know they don't know exactly where they're going which which is sort of like the majority of any sports student out there it's, it's like i want to work in sports and maybe they want to have like you know work for a professional team or they want to like they know you know down down the road i want to do that right but they don't they don't know where to start and so i'm thinking like you know looking from your experience and thinking about like okay what kind of like, you know, key tips do you have for students out there that are, you know, looking to maybe work with sports like, you know, that are involved in obstacle sports? And what are some ways, you know, that they can get involved, both, you know, kind of like, you know, in the next, you know, four or five months, until like you know, maybe, you know, in a year or two, you know, what are some of the things that you you, you picture and ambition for for those future leaders, I would say, in the industry.
0: Uh, students who are interested in um, a career or more involvement in sport, uh, the easiest way is probably to start at the the local level. And volunteer a local race. Um, that gets you immediately engaged in the in the sport side, uh, and that can go further. So, I mean, you can do that locally, nationally, regionally continentally or at world level. In fact, uh, we provide a mechanism for exactly that, which is an internship program. Uh, it's volunteer, you don't get paid. Uh, and I know that's, a, that's a, probably a legal requirement in some countries as payment, but as an international organization, we swim in, <laughs> swim in international waters. So yeah. we have this, although we're a, a Swiss um, based organization, um, we're, we're also virtual and international. So the virtual space has really no governing law, um, which is interesting. We we uphold law uh, and Swiss law, but the internship program is valuable. We've had a lot of interns come through. A lot of them are graduates um, at graduate level. In fact, we have a formal relationship with AISTS out of Lausanne. It's sort of like an Olympic university for master's level students, quite mature ones, sometimes in their 40s. That, have, that want to really get into sport. And we've had several, actually a series for the past like three or four years, we continue to get graduates who intern with us. Some stay, some move on to big sport, um, but it's a way to get experience um, in, a, a, <laughs> in a rapidly moving, a rapidly growing organization, which, um, which is us. Right. And that's valuable for everyone. We love having students come in and work with us in whatever they want to do and that's the beauty is because most if you go to say FIFA. Um, they will have positions that are very specific and that are open and maybe or maybe not, you can qualify because it's a big wealthy organization and employs good people and pays them well. Um, we, are, we don't we're small we don't pay at all. <laughs> but we provide amazing opportunities and ability to grow with the sport, which which has happened everyone who's come in, by the way, has. And has moved on um has remained in touch uh, remained very friendly because they had amazing experiences and have gone on to do fantastic things in other sports for example like fifa right. um and this is this is one of the values of and abilities for students if anyone wants to uh, approach us and has an idea that they would like to spend some time working at world Ops School or working with world Ops School, uh, the time requirements are entirely up to the person. If they want to spend an hour a day, a few hours a week, or more, great. Right. Uh, some, some people have come in and basically gone full time right. because it's really valuable and they get to learn very, very quickly. Uh, and it, it benefits every everyone, everything. Yeah. Uh, they can do that at national level too, right. in the federation system or with events. Doesn't really matter. It's all sport. Um, you know we like people to come in and see the sport side because that's non-biased if you like it's there's no there's no vested interest there's no internal interest yeah. it simply gives you a big view of all of the stuff um, and all of the you get this kind of top-down view of lots of countries, lots of events in lots of countries, lots of commercial interests um, and then the sport so you're kind of looking looking at the Olympic side and you're also looking at the commercial side and then getting heavily involved in the athletic side. So what the sport actually is, which is the events and the athletes that do them.
1: Right. And it gives you that um, overview, right? Of, of understanding like the mechanisms. And I think, you know, as, it does. As as it does.
0: Yeah. It's surprising. A lot of people get quite surprised when they see under the hood, if you like, under the what's going on in the engine, um, because sport is quite misunderstood. And yeah. there's a lot of, I hate uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's part of how social media works is there's a lot of misinformation out there aggressively being promoted by certain commercial interests right. that, that feel threatened by sport. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon. we see it, we see it constantly. Right. It's disappointing and it's unfortunate, but yep. we, we maintain the moral high ground, and we stay friendly and we just keep stating the facts Absolutely. that you know, no one owns the sport. Well, that's not true the sport is owned by the community, right? the community, the athletes and the, the interest, they own the sport. Yeah. No single entity or person or individual, no one owns the sport as a organization or a, an individual. That's not possible. You can own things in the sport, like commercial races and stuff. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a huge misunderstanding, largely promoted by the, <laughs> the interests that own stuff and want to keep it to themselves.
1: Right right it's it's comes down to the personal personal interest and belief right and, and as you're saying misunderstanding right and misinformation and uh, and i mean like yeah for for any student out there right interested to get their get their foot in the door like understanding the mechanisms like you know i, I guess picking your brain a little bit too you know that's that's always always an option to get like some uh, some insights and tips um but yeah, you know, I think I would just like to thank you, you know, so much for for taking the time, you know, for this uh, fun conversation. I mean, like, I've just been sitting here as well, just soaking in a lot of stuff, you know. And I'm just, you know, it, it, it's 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 really good, you know, because I think, you know, it, it's like having that mindset of never stopping to learn, you know, and like just grabbing the opportunity to to and, and as you know you know I I sent over the questions in advance and there was still you know probably half of the questions that we we added on you know it was like coming out of the conversation and I think like just again like that's about capitalizing on the information coming in you know understanding more and and I want the people here that are listening you know to just try to get an essence of like you know your background but also like the vast knowledge you have and and I think it was uh, a lot of fun and uh I really appreciate it once again for uh for you uh, Ian for, for for taking the time and um, and yeah, for those of you, you know, that have been part of this, you know, already uh, and, and staying all the way at the end, you know, make sure to like the video if you haven't, uh, subscribe as well to the channel and sign up at Sporting Global if you haven't, and make sure to follow FISA inside the Sporting Global platform. Uh, yeah, so with that, Ian, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, uh, oh, it's my pleasure. And
0: final, final remarks. <laughs> um, I do have one, actually. It's kind of closing the loop. Go for it. So with our development partners... If you come and uh, volunteer or intern at FISO, you have the opportunity then to meet and see what our development partners like Sport and Global are doing. And that is always a feasible um, pathway to an actual job. And we have quite a few development partners. It means that you get to meet some of our very good, all of them are great development partners around the world. Uh, and they're, they're real paying jobs that after, you know, understanding and working in sport for a while, you get a leg up and possibly into one of these other organizations.
1: Absolutely. So so with that, Ian, uh, thank you. Thank you once again. And, uh, you know, we have like this, This. Uh, what can I say? Uh, what do we call it? A, um Ooh, a uh, ritual, ritual, yeah, ritual is probably the right word. Uh, where we 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 always finish with some Norwegian language, with some Norwegian. So you gotta learn some Norwegian now. That's that, that's how we wrap up. Um, so with every every video we do, we'd always finish with snakkes, which means "see you later" in Norwegian. snakkes. There you go. Perfect. You did it. Great job. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Ian.
0: Thank you, Olay. Thank you, everyone.
1: Enjoy your day, and uh, we'll, we'll talk very soon. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Bye-bye.